You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, today is Tuesday the 5th of April and it's just 7am um, and it's very cold and it's daylight savings. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird actually leaving the house when it's like dark, but at least it's, you know, a little bit of light now before winter, um, now the time changing. <laughs> yeah. Um, how has your week been? Um, yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, you know, just the last sort of things of the summer. Um, I went to a wedding on the weekend. Um, what else has everyone else been up to? Studio 2, do we have you on air? I hope so. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How are you, Fong and Jen? Um, yes, very well. Um, yes, it's cold. Yes, daylight savings is very weird. And yes, the sky is very pretty today. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, Let's quickly go through what's coming up on the show today. Um, Jen, did you want to start us off? Yes. Coming up first, I was lucky enough to sit down with a couple of friends of mine who are uh, active members in the call centre union and um, actually have stories about how the call centre unionised in the first place. So had a chat to them about call centre union, about how they unionised, obviously about how important unions are. Um, And also we touch on the Amazon workers unionising, which is huge. So, yeah. Awesome. And then coming up after that, I'll be speaking with Hannah Dickinson, who is the principal solicitor at ASRC and also the chair of the Visa Cancellation Working Group. And um, hopefully she'll be able to give us an update on the migration amendment strengthening the character test bill, as well as the recent deal with New Zealand Aotearoa to resettle refugees over the next few years and um, touching on the refugees and asylum seekers who have recently been released from detention across Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. So that's coming up at around 7.45. Great. And then at 8am, I'll be speaking with Monique Hurley and Amala Rama Ratanam from the Human Rights Law Centre about Victoria's bail laws and how they disproportionately affect women, specifically Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. And rounding out the show, um, we'll have some audio from Sally Goldner, who is the host of 3CR's Out of the Pan, which airs on Sundays at 12. Um, As you might know, um, on Sunday the 27th of March, we had Trans Day of Audibility here on 3CR. um, And then we had Trans Day of Visibility um, internationally on the 31st of March. Uh, So we'll just have Sally talking about... um, Trans Day visibility and what it means to be a trans activist and what allies can do as well to support people. 
Amazing. Um, let's jump straight into our news headlines for today. Fung, did you want to start us off? Yeah, and um, just a warning that this news story does um, discuss uh, sexual violence, um, but uh, it's been reported that women and children across Ukraine are grappling, grappling with the threat of um, rape and sexual violence. Um, there's mounting evidence uh, of some executions, rape and torture being used against civilians in areas under Russian control since the Kremlin launched its invasion. Um, there are emergency hotlines like La Strada that, that are seeking to help girls and women, but uh, the president of uh, La Strada Ukraine has said that in some areas it is incredibly difficult to help them um, physically because of the fighting. So not only are women having to deal with... Um, the actual violence and fighting that's been going on. But now um, there's also the threat of sexual violence being um, committed against them as well. Um, in other news, I just wanted to give an update on the French election, which is happening this month. Um, polls have shown that far-right candidate uh, Marine Le Pen is reaching the second uh will reach the second round final against Macron on um, 24th of April and is also closing the gap with even one poll showing um, 47% uh, Le Pen to Macron's 53%, um, which is quite worrying. Um, it's not just Le Pen, though, who is a far-right candidate for this election. There's also Eric Zemmour, who's seen to be even more radical um, and more conservative. Um, and next to Zemmour, Le Pen is being seen uh, as less radical and less aggressive. And I guess more, um, yeah, her character has, has been to see softened compared to him in the public sphere. So, um, yeah, it, it's um, seen that the far right is is just on the rise in France, um, which sort of isn't all too surprising given the stories that we've discussed here on 3CR Breakfast about the rise of Islamophobia um, uh, in, in France. So yeah, watch this space to see what happens with the election this month. Thanks, Fung. Um, also wanted to go over um, a recent um, article in The Guardian which has reported that women leaving domestic violence um, are struggling to access a $5,000 payment designed to help them leave abusive relationships. Um, the program to provide this funding was launched last year and has had more than 7,000 applications. Um, issues include delays and poor communication with service providers and Social Services Minister Anne Rustin has said that the government is working to fix the delays um, and the government has committed an additional $240 million to fund the payment in Tuesday's budget. Um, so hopefully that does make a difference and the delay can be fixed up because when you, know, you are trying to leave a violent situation, it is pretty important that you have the support at the right time um, and you're not dealing with additional barriers like delays in the payment yeah there's like that's not the time for means testing and no. things like that um yeah yeah um and in other family violence related news um just a content warning on this as well um inquest into the murder of hannah clark has concluded and after a nine-day coron coronial inquiry into her murder um 
by her abusive estranged husband. Um, lawyers have put forward a list of suggestions to the coroner to prevent similar situations in the future. Um, these include focus on additional specialised training and resources for police, as well as a change in the type of language and the type of questions that police um, ask and use to speak with victim survivors or family violence, particularly around asking open-ended questions that give more of a um, window into what what is actually happening rather than yes and yes or no questions, black and white questions that may not actually uncover the issue at hand. Um, lawyer Julia Sarkozy from Women's Legal Service has said there also needs to be a community education and awareness around identifying signs of family violence and of coercive control. Um, she also did say that the same recommendations were made by the Women's Safety and Justice Task Force in 2015, and um, they should have, of course, been taken seriously and implemented then, but, yeah, still urging um, the government to take those on board now. Um, and the last thing is that it's Ramadan um, from the 1st of April to the 1st of May, um, in line with uh, daylight savings, and um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think this is the first year too where most of the um, cultural groups have agreed on the the same date for Ramadan here as well. Which is, is it? yeah, oh. it, it, it's it's funny because like usually it, like it varies between like one or two days depending. But like I think just daylight savings falling at just the right time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we might go to Ace track now. Yes. I <laughs> I discovered this new track by one of my favorite um British singers and songwriters Green Tea Peng, who I believe blends the perfect mix of soul, funk, reggae and hip hop in which I think encompasses a lot of the feminine sound coming out of the UK, but this is her new single Your Mind. Judge myself 
That was Green Tea Peng with her new single, Your Mind. We're going to jump into a conversation I had yesterday where I was able to sit down with a couple of friends of mine, Maddie and Liz, both NAM-based call centre workers and unionists who have been involved in the call centre union for some years now. We speak about how they got involved in the union what the union has accomplished for call centre workers and why unionising is so important and rewarding. All right, let's start off by introducing yourselves and telling us how you got involved in the call centre union. Let's start off with you, Liz. Hey, I'm Liz um, and I started working at a call centre maybe, I think, five years ago now. 
Um, and I didn't join the union at first um, because I thought it was a weird cult and I'd never been part of a union before. And I, I had literally like no idea like what a union was. Um, but there were some organized socialists in my workplace um, and they had kind of made it their project to try and you know, unionize our workplace um, and kind of start a bit more of a like grassroots organizing union thing. Um, yeah, and then I kind of just became involved. I like started working at another call center and I got fired from there really unfairly. Mm-hmm. And then when I went back to like the call center I initially worked at, um, it made a lot of sense to me why people need a union and like someone in their corner to yeah. like. Um, represent them and like who have the same interests as workers yeah yeah um and you Maddie (laughs) yeah so I'm Maddie um I've been working in call centers for about four years so a little bit less than Liz um and yeah when I started working at the call center the union was already really well established um I'd been going to a lot of the refugee protests at the time and people had actually told me about the call center unionism while I was at the protest so I sort of started working there knowing a bit about it. I didn't know what a union was really though until my induction um, by the old delegates. And I was really, really impressed. And I remember just sitting in there being like, oh my God, like I want to do that. Like I can do that. It was really cool. Yeah. Especially, I mean, with call centers predominantly have like young workers, uh, lots of them studying or working casually. And so I guess there's more room for um, things to be exploited and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, and I mean, this is probably an obvious question for you, but, uh, what exactly does the union do for people that work in call centers? Um, good question. Um, yeah. So, um, basically where a union is like a group of workers coming together to like, it's like our inductions. <laughs> yeah. It's like a group of workers like coming together to like fight for their rights. And the union is basically there to like represent like workers um and yeah um where we come together to fight for like better working conditions whether it's something as small as like so the first call center i worked at we won soy milk i remember in the break room fridge um so we have like an agreement an enterprise bargaining agreement and in it it says that like your employer has to provide you with like coffee tea like snacks that kind of thing and um, it sounds really basic, but they didn't give us soy milk. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think we were in a union meeting um, and one of my co-workers and one of the other union members uh, was vegan. <laughs> and she was like, oh, my God, like there's no soy milk in the fridge, like which is so frustrating and annoying. Um, and then people wanted to petition about it. So we did. We had a petition to management. Um, and it was like a simple, small thing that made a really big difference in our workplace um, and made working there like, you know, slightly more enjoyable in some kind of way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it's little things like that, like, you know, whether it's like soy milk or like better wages, yeah. um, you know, more break time, stuff like that, that the union kind of like um, tries to go for and win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like how easy is it to push these things through? I I guess it depends on what you're trying to push <laughs> and it also depends on um yeah what what your density is and how many people you work with are union members. Yeah. I think that's definitely like the most important part is that you need like a majority of people on your side to win anything in a workplace. 
I think it also depends on what you're able to organize with your membership. Mm. Having a walk off at our workplace meant that the things we needed after that were really easy to win. Yep. Like we wouldn't even need a petition at that point. You just go into a meeting with the bosses and say, oh, everybody's really angry about this. Like, I think you mm. need to fix this like right now. Yeah. And that's how we were able to win things. Well, we also petitioned, but yeah. for like um, company provided sanitary items and stuff that yeah. isn't in our EBA, but Mm. they were scared (laughs) yeah they were so scared after the walk-off because like yeah that's like the main power that like we have as like workers Mm. is you know like stopping production in a workplace um and yeah you know what are some big milestones and achievements you've made with the union yeah, about the walk. Make us cry. Yeah, I'm gonna cry. I wasn't even there. Oh. Yeah, I'm gonna like. I get like a bit teary every time I talk about this because like I'm. Yeah, I. So when I first um, joined the unions, as I was mm-hmm. saying, I didn't join at first. I joined up, and then it was kind of just through like. Um, mostly the the kind of people who work there who also happen to be like organized socialists like they would come and chat with me Um, and that's how I started kind of getting more of an idea and an understanding about like the politics and like the kind of like um, union history in Australia and stuff Um, and it yeah was really inspiring um, to hear about you know in the past like in Australia like unions have done a lot Um, Mm. and yeah, like, it kind of gave me an idea of, like, what the world could be like, you know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, we were, um, at that point, like, pretty unionized. We'd probably done a year of solid just, like, getting people to join up, like, having regular union meetings, you know, like, winning really little things like soy milk, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that everyone does in the call centre or at the call centre there was read during shift. So... When you work in a call center, a lot of the time you're just actually wait, waiting for someone to pick up or you're waiting for, like, you've, you're filing through all of these answering machines. So um, when you're, like, a bit more experienced, you can kind of do that on autopilot and people just read a book or some people even studied um, while working. It was a norm and it was actually something that people, um, there was, like, a petition about it um, that people were allowed to read that Mm. bosses said okay sure um you guys can read whatever um but they just hired a new round of people and I think at the time it was a little bit everyone was a little bit nervous about it because they hired quite a lot of people and it's quite common at call centers that they'll hire and then phase people out like under like underperforming people get phased out or whatever yeah because we're all casual and like what happened was a worker like this woman she was reading a book on shift like normal and a supervisor went up to her and just was like hey like can you put your book away like you shouldn't be reading um and she like she had joined when she first started working and she thought it was kind of weird because she was like oh I thought we were allowed to do that there was like other people reading Mm -hmm. and she came to speak to me on the shift because I was the union delegate like Mm -hmm. at work um on shift at that time and she came over to me and was like hey like seems a bit weird that I've been picked on for this I remember we walked up to the supervisor and I was like hey like there seems to be some kind of like misunderstanding like you know blah 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 like thinking like oh she'd be like oh sorry like and then Mm -hmm. be like whatever um but they ended up saying to her that she had to leave either leave or not read during the shift or get yeah so it was like she was given this like ultimatum of like you either stop reading while working or you go home right now Mm -hmm. like um and she chose to go home and then the next day 
basically we found out um that our big bigger kind of higher up boss had said like he was like when your friend shows up to work today like she's not gonna have a job anymore oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah for some reason they decided to hold their ground Mm. on it and so we were all kind of like the the delegates on shift we were like i don't know what to do like you know what this seems really unfair that she's getting like basically sacked for this like stupid Mm. kind of reason um so we were talking to people about it who had just started the night shift mm-hmm. at that point um and you know we were just telling people like hey like this crazy thing has happened like you know kind of like trying to i guess like figure out what we were able what we might be able to do um and how kind of like enraged people were by it we were trying to like figure that out and um it was decided that we would have a emergency meeting mm-hmm. um about this issue at 5:30 Mm-hmm. And I remember going on my toilet break and like no one else was moving. And I just kind of thought like, oh, damn, like this is it. Like, yeah. you know, no <laughs> one's doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then slowly but surely saw people just standing up. Oh my God. Um, and there was about a hundred people working that night um, on the night shift and eight, like about 80 people, I think rocked up to the meeting. Like, yeah. Like the energy in the room was like so crazy. Like I've never experienced anything like it. And like, um, we ended up voting on three motions, which was one, she'd get her job back. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was that we would be allowed to read like no question about it. Like we'd, no one would get in trouble for reading ever again. And, um, the third one was that no one would get in trouble for like walking off. Yeah. It's so crazy. It's the quickest meeting I've ever been in with a boss um, mm-hmm. is, yeah, he sat down and said, please, just no more work stoppages. Anything you want, you guys have got oh it. God. So we presented the... Yeah, we should ask for more. Yeah, we should, we should <laughs> yeah. ask for more. We presented our three kind of like demands um, and he was like, yep, done. I don't know. I never felt that kind of like solidarity mm-hmm. and that sense of like young people and everyone in that room like really believed we, w- we could do something and we did um yeah. and she got her job back and everything they were so like shaken by it. they even offered um to pay her for her whole shift the next day i think something that was really beautiful and has stuck with me since is that like our workplace was casual workers who were all majority of us you know were quite young Mm -hmm. um for a lot of people myself included it was the first time I'd experienced any kind of like union action really any kind of like union presence in a workplace um and it just I feel like it just shows like the possibilities and like the kind of like like young people are so capable of like yeah, unionizing yeah. And, and seeing like the kind of like potential and the rewards of like being in a union yeah and that that story is why i was so keen to join the union like because yeah. that's what i was told in my induction and i remember going to a union meeting after i just started working there and being like okay so we're gonna walk off or what? like i was <laughs> so excited i was like so ready <laughs> yeah. yeah um just like the imagery of that is so powerful yeah. i feel like it's There's yeah there is so like i i'm really sad we didn't get like a big group photo or anything but someone took a photo during the meeting and you can see like like the intensity on everyone's face like everyone is like fully focused like on who was speaking like yeah it was just crazy yeah wow Um, i did want to touch on uh strike rate magazine as well (laughs) um if you wanted to talk about it um but you know which is a magazine operated and written by call center workers. Yes. Um, do you 
exactly know how the idea of making the magazine came along. Yeah, yeah, we came up with this idea to make a mag a little zine、mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people who work at call centers are like pretty creative, like they're like artists,、yeah. DJs, like musicians, whatever. Yeah.、Um, and like I don't know, I would always chat with people at work. People always be doing like little drawings while they were working or whatever. Um. And then, yeah, because we'd kind of done so much with the union, it felt like it needed to be like preserved in some kind of way, like in a more、mm. like tangible form. So we decided to make a little zine、um, with like stories about like union organizing in call centers.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like reached out to a, a, the other kind of bigger call centers and、mm-hmm. said like, "Oh, we're thinking about putting this together." Like, and we got articles from other union members from other places and. Yeah, like it's. I think it's just like important to have,、mm-hmm. um, you know, something that people can look at and be like, oh, whoa, this is what the union's done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I saw you interviewed Boots Riley. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Happens, oh my god, that happened. It was so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was like starstruck. Yeah, yeah. we were both fully. Like there was a point in the interview where like Boots was like telling us all this stuff, and I think Liz and I were just like. Processing it, and there's just like this silent moment、yeah. where I think Liz and I just like with our mouths open, like my God, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So crazy. yeah. We、That's、had、awesome. a really great chat with him about like、um, like his kind of like involvement with like activism and unionism. Yeah, like the movie Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, which、um, is literally about call center and a union.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and like Black Lives Matter. Yeah. yeah, and where he thinks the movement needs to go, and yeah, he also talked a lot about like、um, art and like activism as well, which、True. I really enjoyed. Yeah,、um, yeah. I wanted to touch on maybe like your opinion because I, I feel like not that many people join unions anymore. Like the、um, the rate or the amount of people that sign up even to join like political parties or unions or anything to do like that has dropped so dramatically、um, even in the last few years because of COVID.、Um, I guess if you could like plug unions、yeah. to anyone or like why obviously you've touched on why it's important to join one,、um, but you know why are unions so important to the community? Maybe you could even talk about the Amazon. Yeah. Union that's come up. Yeah. Well, I think like firstly, it's under like I can、yeah. kind of understand why、um, you know、um, like union、uh, unionism is like on the decline. Yeah. Yeah. It's、Australia. like Liz and I didn't know what unions were before no, we joined. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a huge problem. Yeah, and I think like a lot of that is to kind of do with like、um, like the union bureaucracy. Yeah.、Um, and like yeah, like people don't really organize like. You know, rank and file. Like the unions don't really do that. Like、mm-hmm. it's kind of up to workers to do that. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it takes like you know people who are in the workplace to kind of get that going. Yeah,、mm. I feel like it even comes up a lot in our inductions. Like if we ask people if they've been in unions before, people will be like, "Oh, yeah, I have," but it's not a good experience. Yeah, or they didn't do anything. Yeah, they're yeah. very like disillusioned. Yeah. Yeah, which is so understandable. I、yeah. think.、Um, but yeah, I think that's why it's. The more important that you know, people do join and create you know change in their workplaces,、mm-hmm. yeah. fight for better conditions and stuff. Yeah, 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 and realize that they're able to do it themselves. Yeah, and that they're the ones who have the power to do so,、mm. and it it doesn't、um, depend on having this structure on top of you telling you what to do. It's like the power is actually in workers themselves. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. I think that, yeah, that idea is, has been central um, in the Amazon workers, mm, in them yeah. being able to unionize their first ever warehouse. And it was like all completely grassroots. Like mm-hmm. they made their own union just from workers without mm-hmm. like, we have, we're a part of the UWU. Like they don't have a UWU. Mm-hmm. They just did it on their, off their yeah. own bats. And that's like what it's about, you yeah. know? And they had a GoFundMe, which yeah. I think is so incredible. Like yeah. people care about this stuff and, you know, they want to like, do things like that like Mm -hmm. you know yeah like people would have like ordinary people would have donated to their gofundme like page and you know that would have been a large reason of how they were able to kind of pull that off and yeah you know also of course like the dedication of like the organizers and stuff but yeah yeah like i think it just goes to show that like once you make the arguments to people about Mm -hmm. why you know, being a worker, like you have all of this power and why it's important to use that. Like it makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. and it kind of starts to get the ball rolling. Yeah, and it's the it's the grassrootsness of it yeah. that made it successful. Like yeah. it, had, it had failed in lots of other Amazon warehouses because it wasn't done by the workers themselves. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah. 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 Having those conversations with workers, which I think the union movement is really bad at now, is they won't just talk to workers. Yeah. yeah it's all about putting stuff on social media. Like, yeah. mm. it's not about actually going onto the floor and yeah, yeah meeting people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons why that is the way that it is. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, like, it's really bad, like, in Australia now. Yeah. Considering yeah. Australia's history as well. Yeah. And our really militant awesome unions from like the 80s 90s mm. everyone should watch rocking the foundations yeah. if you haven't already for yeah. sure if you want to know about unions and why you should join watch yeah that. <laughs> we can put that in the show notes <laughs> a required reading for our listeners um but yeah even like as you said uh the power of the worker is the threat to leave the yeah. workplace or like at, in a capitalist structure that's the power is the fact that well if i don't like it here i can leave and go somewhere else yeah. so to actually use and a lot of people even though that's so simple a lot of people don't necessarily realize that that's actually the foundation that makes up the capitalist mm-hmm. um yeah. capitalism as a structure is okay we can pay your wage and do all this stuff to but the power you have is you can leave and go somewhere else yeah, or, or stop work. or stop working. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, cool. Well, if there's any call center worker listeners listening right now, would you like to tell them exactly how they can join? Yeah. Um, so you can join on the United Workers Union website. Um, we're actually like in a bargaining period at the moment, so mm-hmm. we're kind of like bargaining for our new agreement, um, which has been good. So if you work in yeah social market research, yeah market and social research, yeah, it's awesome. a good time to join. Um, but yeah, also any other call center you can still join. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think like wherever you work, like it's just good to join the union. Yeah, yeah, yes. What is say If you don't fight, you lose. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's if the truth. You, know, you lose. It's so true. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast uh, <laughs> to talk about call center unions and unions in general. I think it's a really important conversation to be having. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. No <laughs> that was Maddie and Liz from the call center union speaking about unionizing their zine strike rate amazon workers unionizing and why unions are so important for workers 
To learn more about the union, you can go to the Workers' Union website and to access the Strike Rate magazine written and compiled by call centre workers, you can look at their Instagram handle, which is at Strike Rate Scene. Next up, we're going to play a song by Mona Harder and it's called Hijabi. What the hair look like? Bet the hair look nice. Don't that make you sweat? Don't that feel too tight? Yo, what your hair look like? Bet your hair look nice. How long your hair is? You need to get your life. You only see Oriental. You steady working that dental. You popping up at the lip and run your mouth like a treadmill. Not your exotic vacation. I'm bored with your fascination. I need that paper, paper, paper if you want education. All around the world, love women. Ladies, we was born in the 80s, so pretty like the Euphrates, and party like some Kuwaitis, deeper than some diplomas, current like some hot yoga, taking back the misnomers, and teleporting through trauma, teleporting through trauma, teleporting through trauma, I've been stacking my karma, Nefertiti, no drama, make a feminist planet, woman haters get banished, covered up or not, don't ever take us for granted. All around the world, love women. These mixtures, these hippies, these prissies, these sufis, these dreadies, these sunnies, these shiris, Yemenis, Somalis, Lebanese, Pakistanis, these Sudis, Sudanis, Iraqis, Punjabis, Afghanis, Yazidis, Khadijis, Indonesians, Egyptians, Canadians, Algerians, Nigerians, Americans, Libyans, Tunisians, Palestinians, hidden beyond the Mekong and Laos, Senegalese and Burkina Faso. Either with Hijabi Mona is an American rapper, poet, activist, and chaplain, and she wrote Hijabi as a protest song as a part of her 2018 EP Barbarian. Accent of women. 
it seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the. How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, regular listeners of Tuesday Breakfast would have heard us um, discussing the Migration Act, Migration Amendment, strengthening the character test bill um, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, joining us now is Hannah Dickinson, who is the Principal Solicitor at ASRC, as well as the Chair of the Visa Cancellation Working Group, who joins us today to give us an update on this bill, um, as well as the recent deal with um, New Zealand Aotearoa to resettle over 450 refugees over the next few years. And uh, discuss the, the recent event that is the refugees and asylum seekers who have been released from detention in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane just in the last few days. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Hannah. Thanks so much for having me, Fung. Um, could you please start by telling us more about this visa cancellation working group that uh, you're a part of? Absolutely. So a few people working in the migration space uh, recognised in around 2018, that there was very little representation for people facing visa cancellations. And given the seriousness of consequences for those people, which can include permanent family separation, indefinite detention, and deportation to harm, um, we, we decided to form a group to address that need. And we've now got over 100 members across Australia uh, working to improve justice for people facing cancellation and refusal. That's yeah. That sounds amazing. Um, so, just touching on now the um, my, the migration amendment to um, the bill. Um, could you please give, give us an update on this? Last we discussed this on the show. Um, you know, it had been reintroduced, um, and there was a lot of media attention around it. But what's been happening lately? Well, amazing news. Um, last week was the final Senate sitting uh, before the election. And it was the last time the bill could get through before the election. Um, it didn't get through, which is yeah. fantastic news. Um, after a great deal of advocacy from the community and from legal organisations, um, we received the incredible news that it's not going to pass before the election. And this was a hard-fought victory and very gratifying because the bill was extraordinarily defective and harmful. Yes, could you remind our listeners um, what impact this would have on um, people seeking asylum? Absolutely. So the main problem with the bill is that uh, it creates an indiscriminate industrial-like approach to visa cancellations. Uh, and by doing that, it harms people who already have difficulties accessing justice. And in particular, refugees, um, in concert with a bill that was passed last year that essentially purports to permit indefinite detention, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're likely to see, uh, if this law was passed or is in the future, um, greater numbers, significantly greater numbers of refugees being um, detained indefinitely or even returned to harm. 
then separation of families, of course, affecting refugees and migrants alike, and also women fleeing family violence and and children as well. So it was a a really harmful bill that targeted um, people that really really oughtn't. Um, those people, in fact, need considerably more protection, not less, under the Migration Act. Yeah, right. And and it would just give um, the minister just incredible you know, godlike powers, um, um, and which they sort of already have. Is that correct? Like, um, is there an example where they, where the government has tried to cancel a visa, but they haven't been able to under current law? That's exactly right. And, and that's what's perhaps most alarming about the bill. Completely unjustified. Mm. Uh, there's not a single case that they could put forward where they couldn't cancel the visa. Um, the powers are extraordinarily broad. I mean, you don't have to have a criminal record at all to have a visa cancellation. Uh, we've seen many cases, I mean, driving offences or charges or, in fact, no record at all and no charges. It's um, an extraordinarily broad power, which is why it's alarming that the government was, I, I suppose, selling this bill to the community by saying it was addressing um, cases that needed to be cancelled but couldn't. Mm. And, and, you know, there's, they've also said that, you know, it's, it's here because they have this strong stance against family violence and, and this would, I guess, remove these individuals from the community and, and keep the community safe. But is that what um, a lot of people uh, who are in these situations, is this what they're actually calling for? Do you know? No, it's 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 quite opposed to what the national plan um, to eliminate family violence actually asks for. And in respect of this actual bill, 17 leading experts, expert organisations in family violence signed a letter saying, please, please don't persist with this bill. Mm-hmm. It hurts women and it hurts children. Um, it puts them in a more um, insecure situation and it's likely to drive family violence offending underground and lead to things like um, failure to engage with early intervention and so pretty significant harms um, for people escaping family violence. Definitely, and I imagine a lot of people would be quite afraid to report um, where, you know, um, because they wouldn't want to risk being deported. Exactly. We were in Canberra fighting the bill last week and with us came two very brave people who had experienced visa cancellation and um, one now works with refugee communities and she said uh, her her clients wouldn't report, um, a brother, a father, an aunt, um, a partner, um, if the consequences were such that they might be indefinitely detained mm. and deported to serious harm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's 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 such an incredibly um, unnecessarily cruel bill, and um, we're just grateful that it wasn't able to pass before the election. Um, so that's amazing work there. Um, could you tell us more about this recent deal made between Australia and New Zealand Aotearoa regarding the resettlement of um, uh, four hundred and fifty refugees over the next few years? Absolutely. So this was, of course, news that was welcomed by the community. Uh, such relief after those long, um, cruel years spent in detention waiting for a solution. Mm. Uh, but it's, of course, news that comes far too late uh, after real people have suffered extraordinary and perhaps irreparable costs. 
And it also doesn't solve the problem. It's fantastic and generous from New Zealand, but even if all the resettlement pathways are uh, filled, um, there'll still be a, a large number of people who don't have a solution, who are still languishing in this um, no-man's land that our laws have created. Yes, yes, you're, yeah, you're right. Like, While it is welcome news and, and this will be an incredible, um, I guess, pathway for so many people, it doesn't actually solve the initial problem, which is our cruel <laughs> detention um, system here in Australia, which continues to harm those people who are there. That's right, and and we're still seeing truly, truly appalling situations. Like um, one example is a person whose family, um, numerous members of the family, were evacuated from Afghanistan, um, but they remain in detention offshore mm. uh, while their families in Australia. And these are the cases that desperately need solutions, um, and and doesn't and don't seem to be addressed by the existing pathways. No, not at all. Um, and and so, what about these uh, people, these refugees who have recently been released from detention centres across Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane? From what I understand, there are around twenty refugees who have been released. Um, what can you tell us about about their release from detention? Well, again, it's it's wonderful news for people mm. to receive their freedom after so long. Uh, a lot of releases. Um, are happening at really disturbing times. Um, these releases tend to happen late Friday night where um, the people can't access the support they need um, or it's very difficult to do so over the weekend. Uh, we understand there may be more releases prior to the election and, and I think what we can take from both the New Zealand deal and these recent releases is that the community have demanded better for refugees uh, and the government thinks it could cost the election. Um, the timing is, is certainly interesting. Mm. Uh, it's wonderful for these people. We, we hope that they get the support that they need in the community and there are lots of organisations working to provide that. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's also tinged with a great deal of sadness about what those people have had to go through. Yes, especially since, like you said, that these... The, these um, releases and these deals have been accepted, you know, prior to an election. Um, it, it's sad to to almost see it uh, see these people as being used as um, political pawns or you know used to to play a game to garner votes. Um, so it is, I guess, a very bittersweet moment. Um, you mentioned before that uh, these releases tend to happen, you know, Friday evening when when people can't access support from the community. What government support is being offered to people once they are released? I imagine after you've been in a detention for several years, it would be um, still, whilst you know, a joyous occasion would be quite confronting um, to rejoin the community. So, what is the government? Well, do they put in place any support services for these people? They do. There, there is variation between what people receive on release and often it's not timely. So people might be waiting days to receive um, any supportive funds or so on. Uh, people are also provided accommodation. Uh, sometimes in a hotel quite close to the hotel they were just released from. Mm. Um, so it's... It, 
it's inconsistent. There is support provided by external providers uh, that lasts a certain period of time, but then it's uh, really up to community organisations and that person to, to try to establish themselves after so long in detention. Which is such incredible pressure on, on that individual to try and um, seek support after being locked up for so long. Um, and yes, we know that there are so many great community organisations in, in Melbourne in, and across Australia who are doing the work for refugees. But yeah, I guess it is just another thing that the government um, should be doing for, for these people and, and yet are neglecting to do so. Um, it's certainly something um, we could do better. And from just the other brief thing is in terms of the time these people have spent in detention, um, it, it's very difficult to imagine what processing um, could have been necessary that takes these years. So, so again, um, that, that needs to change. We can't have this situation again mm-hmm. where people are detained for years um, ostensibly because some kind of processing is being done. It's, it's just not justified. Mm. Well, it's an issue that we continue to discuss here um, on 3CR Breakfast, but I did want to have a brief update around all these events and things that have happened in the last month. So thank you so much, Hannah, for, for joining on uh, joining us on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast this morning. Um, I think we've yeah learnt a lot about, about the government's recent decisions regarding refugees and asylum seekers in this country. Thank you so much for having me. So that was uh, Hannah Dickinson, who is the Principal Solicitor at ASRC, as well as the Chair of the Visa Cancellation Working Group, speaking to us just now about the um, now-failed Migration Act, Migration Amendment Strengthening the Character Bill, uh, the recent deal with New Zealand to resettle refugees over the next few weeks, uh, next few years, sorry, as well as the refugees and asylum seekers who have been released from detention uh, across Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. Um, we'll be back right after this announcement. You're listening to 3CR. Accent women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Um, we're approaching 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, we just heard from Hannah Dickinson, who is the Principal Solicitor at ASRC and Chair of the Visa Cancellation Working Group. Um, before our next interview, we'd like to play another track for you. This song, uh, Fairy Tale in the Supermarket, was originally by The Raincoats, but this cover is by two non-based artists, Jen Cloa and Anika Austin Dog, a.k.a. Hachiku. Oh. 
Jen Kloa and Hachiku with Fairy Tale in the supermarket. A recent parliamentary inquiry into Victoria's criminal justice system has found that women are disproportionately affected by Victoria's bail laws. MPs, along with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, Human Rights Law Centre, um, Fitzroy Legal Service, and Flat Out, are calling on the Andrews government to um, urgently reform the state's bail laws, um, as well as raise the age for criminal responsibility. Monique Hurley and Amala Ramaratnam from Human Rights Law Centre are joining us this morning to talk about how these laws adversely affect women, especially Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. Welcome to the show, Monique and Amala. Thank you so much for having us. Good morning. 
Good morning. Um, so maybe we can just start off by explaining um, the current bail laws to our listeners and um, just talking through the reforms made to it in 2018. Monique, did you want to get us started? Yes, sure. So over the years, successive Victorian governments have acted um, a bunch of discriminatory and dangerous laws for the purpose of looking tough on crime. And one of an example of those laws are knee-jerk amendments that were made to the bail laws in response to an incident of extreme violence perpetrated by one man. And so they were reforms, as you said, that were made in 2018. And what they do is that they increasingly put the burden of proof on people charged with an offence to show why they should be released on bail. And this has had the impact of... Prisons increasingly serving as warehouses for people that um, the government have left to language at the margins. And the recent parliamentary inquiry that you were talking about made um, 100 recommendations for change of the Victorian legal system. And it was a really wide-ranging inquiry that covered a lot of issues. But um, Human Rights Law Centre and the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and the organisations that we partner with in this space think that this report from the inquiry is a long overdue opportunity for the Andrews government to to kind of take stock of the bail laws and the impact that they're having and to urgently change them to stop so many people and particularly Aboriginal women and women experiencing poverty being funnelled into prisons and warehoused there on remand. Um, yeah, and one of the examples of how these bail laws can adversely affect women is misidentification, which is when um, women are arrested because they're misidentified as perpetrators rather than victims of family violence. Can you tell us a little bit more about this, Amala? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, well, when responding to incidents of family violence, um, wrongful gender and racial stereotypes can result in police misidentifying the appropriate victim survivor, and this results in an increasing number of women victim survivors being criminalised and subject to family violence orders um, instead of being protected by them. Um, and so in our submission to the inquiry, we referenced research that was undertaken by the Women's Legal Service, um, which determined that Victorian police um, regularly misidentify female victim survivors as the primary aggressor during family violence incidents. Um, and the Women's Legal Service reviewed over 600 client intake forms relating to police applications for family violence intervention orders and found that approximately one in ten misidentified a woman as the aggressor in a family violence incident. Um, I might throw to you, Monique. Yes, and so the Victorian government needs to really look at this because they're a government that really wants to say that they are um, helping survivors of family violence, and that's why we had a really um, extensive Royal Commission into Family Violence not that long ago. Um, and it's really, yeah, the evidence is increasingly overwhelming that women are being impacted by these reforms in a way that isn't isn't what anybody intended and it's not the government can't hide behind that anymore because um, this inquiry's really shown and made a finding to the effect that the laws are having a um, significant impact 
on um, women and Aboriginal women and women experiencing poverty that are being disproportionately remanded under the current bail laws. Um, you mentioned as well, Monique, that the it ends up being that um, once you know women and other members of marginalised communities are arrested, um, the onus falls on them to prove their innocence, even when it is on um, you know due to misid or for petty crime related to poverty. Um, is that one of the reforms that uh, is being kind of asked for from the inquiry? So that's a really good question. And so the inquiry made um, some findings that are particularly relevant to the bail laws. Um, and one of them was that the current kind of um, the current approach um, is not working. Um, the balance between community safety versus the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty is effectively out of whack. And so. We think that the bail laws need to be reformed urgently in light of that and the impact that it's having on women. But the inquiry made a recommendation that there be another review of the state's bail laws. So that was really disappointing because we think that this is something that's really urgent and can't be kicked down the road any further. And in particular, it's really important that the reverse onus provisions in the bail laws get repealed for the reasons that you that you just noted um, and that there should be a presumption in favour of bail for all offending with the onus to be um, borne by the prosecution to demonstrate that a person shouldn't be granted bail because there's a specific and immediate risk to the physical safety of another person or the person poses a demonstrable flight risk. Yeah, absolutely. Um and one of one of the examples of how you know these bail laws do adversely impact women is they end up losing custody of their kids um because they get you know stuck in jail and don't get bail and um it there's like a snowball effect um are there other examples of the adverse impacts that um specifically women deal with so criminalising women has not only really harmful impacts for the women themselves, we know that prisons are really um, brutal and unforgiving environments and that women and, you know, everyone that's subjected to that process, um, it's a place where people can be exposed to solitary confinement, where people can be routinely strip-searched and people can be um, subjected to all other kinds of cruel and degrading behaviour. And so I think that there's a question we need to um, ask about whether prisons serve the kind of rehabilitative function that we think that they do. Um, and so that's the impact on the person themselves. And then we know with women in particular that the impacts of them being criminalised flow on to their families and communities. And as you pointed out, there's a real risk that women going into prison will lose custody of their children and that that will have impacts for their children and mean that they're more likely to um, be criminalised themselves later in their life. Um, it also impacts... You know, housing can be lost, jobs can be lost, um, all the other kind of protective factors that help people um, get their life um, on track are 
you know, destroyed by having contact with the prison system. And that's why it's really important that not only the Victorian government um, fixes the bail laws as a matter of priority, but I think that we all, the government also needs to be thinking about the mass imprisonment crisis that they've created in the state more generally and doing a lot of work focused on reducing the number of people and women coming into contact with the prison system more generally. Absolutely, and this touches on as well um, the uh, further impact that this has on Aboriginal women and Aboriginal children as well. Um, Another uh, recommendation of the inquiry is to raise the age of criminal responsibility, which is currently 10 years of age. And, of course, this is another issue that disproportionately affects marginalised communities. Can you tell us a bit more about why this is important, Amala? Yes, certainly. It was really good to see the parliamentary inquiry recommending that the Victorian government should raise the minimum age of criminal responsibility to at least 14 years old. Um, The inquiry had heard extensive evidence that Victoria's current age of criminal responsibility is, as you say, too low, it's out of step with international standards and it's inconsistent with the medical and legal consensus that young children shouldn't be exposed to the criminal legal system. Um, And as you say as well, certain children are disproportionately impacted by the low age of criminal responsibility, including Aboriginal children. And so the inquiry also thought that raising the age in Victoria should happen alongside an expansion of community-based supports and services that would help children address complex needs um, that, if, if otherwise unaddressed, might otherwise lead to harmful contact with the criminal legal system. Um, and this approach was taken in the ACT, where they committed to raising the age and then did a really in-depth review of their youth service system to identify what developmentally appropriate support for children the government should be resourcing. And that same thing could easily happen here in Victoria, where there are already excellent services and programs that work for children, which can be expanded and enhanced. Um, So ideally, the Victorian government should have a clear pathway forward to properly supporting children and raising the age here. Absolutely. Um, We're quickly running out of time here. Um, Just to close up our interview this morning, a question for both of you. What were some other recommendations of the inquiry and what reforms would you both like to see? Maybe we'll start with you, Monique. Sure. So the bail laws is an urgent priority and I can refer listeners to a petition that the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service has going at the moment um, to fix the broken bail laws. So if people want to support that call, um, it's www.bals.org.au slash bail petition Um, and then so yes bail reform is an urgent priority in terms of reducing the number of people going into prison and increasingly um, the number of people being in prison um, unsentenced. We'd also like to see reform of um, parole to make it um, more straightforward for people to be released on the back end of prison and supported in the community to to go on and um, live their life. We'd also like to see um, cruel and degrading practices in prisons banned. Um, the review recommended, um, the inquiry recommended a review of practices in prison like routine strip searching and the use of solitary confinement, but um, they're really practices that can 
amount to torture in certain circumstances and should be banned in legislation. We don't need a review to tell us that. Um, and then I will throw to Amala and I think she'll talk about raise the age and opt-out implementation. Yes, you are exactly right and read my mind. Um, so one of the things um, we would love to see is, uh, yeah, you know, age of criminal responsibility being raised um, immediately. Um, and one of the other recommendations that came out of the inquiry as well was a very strongly worded recommendation um, for the Victorian government to fully implement a UN anti-torture protocol called OPCAT. Um, they missed a deadline um, that passed in January of this year um, for that to happen, and so we'd really like to see that happen um, as a matter of urgency as well. That's great. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning and explaining this very important issue to our listeners. Um, we will link to the petition that Monique mentioned uh, in our show notes later today. Um, is there anywhere else that you would like to direct our listeners for more information? If people are interested in learning more about the inquiry and reading the report, the report's almost um, a thousand pages long, but there's a lot of, it canvases a lot of issues with the Victorian legal system. And so if you Google inquiry into Victoria's criminal justice system, it's a, it'll bring up a Parliament of Victoria website that has um, all of the submissions that were made and a final report of the um, inquiry. Amazing. And we'll uh, include that information in our show notes as well. Thank you again, uh, Monique and Amala, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. So that was Monique Hurley and Amala Ramaratanam from Human Rights Law Centre talking to us about how Victorian bail laws can disproportionately affect women and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. Coming up now, um, just to round out the show, um, we've got a clip from Sally Goldner, who is the host of 3CR's Out of the Pan, which airs on Sundays at 12, and it covers pansexual issues, pansexual meaning no boundaries of sex or gender, including transgender, bisexual and polyamorous issues. As we've mentioned uh, previously on the show, um, this past Sunday on the 27th of March, uh, we had Trans Day of Audibility here at 3CR, and Sally's show was a big part of that. Uh, so here's Sally talking about Trans Day of Visibility, which was on the 31st of March, uh, what it means to be visibly trans and how allies can help. Um, well, Trans Day of Audibility, what else can we say? I mean, Trans Day of Audibility leading up to the big Trans Day of the Year, Trans Awesomeness Day, um, as I like to call it sometimes, on the 31st of March this year in 2022, falling on a Thursday. Uh, the thing, of course, that I think we always need to remember is not every trans person is willing or able to be visible for lots of reasons. And this is where I think it's really important that we acknowledge visibility, I'll say in a very broad sense of that word, has to be a every, every individual's free choice. And it would be similar um, for, I'll say, sexual and romantic orientation. You know, sadly, there are places in the world where some people can't be out. I think in particular at the moment of, you know, there's many countries in the world, but of course the obvious one that comes to mind is um, LGBTQ people in Ukraine, you know, fighting for their existence because if Russia gets control of that country, yoikes. Um, it leads actually into, uh, we've had an, a, a great email from Mel, a couple of great emails, um, who wishes um, everyone, well, didn't say everyone, but I'll take it as everyone, Happy Trans Day of Audibility. 
Um, well, thank you, Mel. Hope you're having a good one as well. Hope all um, those connecting into the program are. The thing is, uh, Mel's also sent in another story, which got me thinking as I was um, listening to the two tracks. Um, here's something that's, I don't know, it's one of those do you laugh or cry sort of moments. It's um, from CNN News. Um, content note meant, there, I knew there'd be one eventually. Um, I hope that's, I'm not sure if I like my sort of telepathy there. Content note mention of transphobic author. Uh, the headline from this CNN article reads, J.K. Rowling hits back at Putin after he likened Russia to her in rant against cancel culture. I mean, already, I don't know, it's one of those laugh or cry, you know, do you do take that and do stand-up comedy out of it or something? Um, so um, the Russian president compared the West's treatment of his country to a public backlash faced by the Harry Potter author. Um, well, and um, J.K. has come back and said critiques of cancel culture are not best made by those slaughtering civilians. Quote, and that's quote un, um, that's pretty much quote unquote from um, not best made and slaughtering civilians. Um, so let's certainly um, the um, Putin and cronies, not Russia. Um, interesting, saw a, an a article about a Russian newsreader who went on air on state Russian TV and criticised the war. I hope she's going to be all right, seriously. But, um, you know, I deliberately, you know, and we do need to make clear that this is about Putin and, of course, there's lots of Russians who don't support the war. Um, but, you know, um, yes, um, you know, Putin's invasion is slaughtering innocent civilians and military in the Ukraine. But... Um, you know, maybe not physically, maybe not directly. But the thing is, when people like um, the views, I'll focus on the views actually of, you know, sort of J.K. Rowling come out, they damage trans and gender diverse people psychologically and maybe indirectly lead to death. And, you know, that is not acceptable. The thing, though, for all of these silly types of people, um, views, sorry, um, you know, that um, I think that there's something that we need to consider. Yes, there's a long way to go. There always is. We can't afford to be complacent. Um, we will always have to be alert, not alarmed. But I wanted to share something that happened to me back um, in, well, what was the horrible moments, relatively horrible by um, Australian trans standards of the and I will say another content note, the so-called Religious Discrimination Bill debate back in early February. And, you know, that Wednesday leading into the Thursday of that second week in February as the bills were, you know, went through the House of Representatives, I couldn't sleep that night. Um, I didn't want to listen to the debates. I just couldn't bring, um, or watch them on whatever broadcasts were available, if they were. Um, it was just too much, but I couldn't sleep. I what found some five-hour epic on YouTube and watched that and finally exhausted myself. Woke up the next morning and, of course, heard the bills had gone through the reps. Um, and that was extremely anxiety-provoking. And then when you know it was um, going to be that Andrew Bragg would have um, voted for similar amendments as to the Labor Party and the five Liberals who crossed the floor and the bill was withdrawn, I think that you know when you're sort of strung out um, emotionally, you sort of, and then the tension goes away. You sort of 
um, in a sense, emotionally collapse. Well, I emotionally and physically had a small, you know, sort of disintegration and slept for about four or five hours on Thursday afternoon. And I woke up feeling you know, obviously washed out. And of course, the other thing that happened on that Wednesday was the press club address by Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins. And I watched the whole hour and it was like a tonic. It was like psychological caffeine, said the Melbourneian. And I just, what I loved about them was their no-nonsense, we'll put, we'll set our agenda. And this has been something that's been bugging me for a while in the rainbow communities. I feel we've become too reactive to other people's agendas. And there's a lot of factors in that. Yes, there's been a shift to the right in Australia over the last 25 years politically, and of course, to a fair extent in the world. So the sort of things we've seen on, from a number of countries have been abhorrent. But something in me said, if Grace and Brittany can stand up and talk about their experiences, and they're not, um, you know, sort of invulnerable or not, in, you know, they're not, um, what's the word I'm after, you know, 100% rock solid. I, and content note, mental health, Grace Tame had to recently um, check in to for some major mental health support. And if you are listening out there somewhere, Grace, I wish you every good vibe um, that we can send you. And it's not easy to get up and tell your story, but what they've been through and they did it, and I thought, well, why the hell can't I? And it's been really interesting since then. Yes, I've had some personal experiences in the last um, two and a half years, particularly from around September last year through to early February this year. But somehow I felt revived and it's like, sod them. Um, to the critics, sorry, of um, those of trans people, sod them. And I do feel like the tide is turning. The fact that those bills did get defeated was something. The fact that the um, Latham um, anti-trans kids bill is not going to go ahead in New South Wales. And maybe we are seeing a turn of the tide. This time it really feels right. It's not just a, you know, a wishful hope. And on this um, sort of time at Trans Day of Visibility and as we're getting to um, trans uh, on this broadcast of hashtag trans day of audibility, I can feel some hope coming back. And you know, obviously that is dependent on the election result. I mean, from a trans point of view and a queer point of view and a social justice point of view, well, you know, it depends how you want to look at it. Um, when the election happens within around 55 days time maximum, obviously not called officially yet, um, you know, it depends on the result. If you know, and we, let's just try to weigh it up methodically. If LNP get back in, we're in for another three years of hell. But I think that um, if Labor get in, you know, that there's going to be some ground made up. But what we need to do is make sure we get the whole trans and rainbow agenda. This approach of, oh, we'll just do one reform per term is simply not good enough. And there's been other things since. The fact that over 80% according to a survey released and um, discussed in a Guardian article, Guardian Australia article says that over 80% of parents want gender and sexuality discussed in schools. Um, and that's you know, pretty even across all demographics, including faith. I think the sort of nonsense that we see, you know, where sadly Florida, for example, has these um, don't talk about gay type of bills going through parliament. We see this in so many states in the USA. I just don't think it's washing here. We're a down-to-earth country. Yes, we've got to keep pushing and fighting and clawing, but we need to get it back on our playing field. And that's my um, 
verdict from now on in terms of the things that I do, which is why I want to have conversations with people like Cerise and not um, waste time on faux issues. And I'm not even going to mention the faux issues. I'm sure listeners to this program know what they are. It's our agenda, um, pun intended. And it's time that we started putting it on board. And that also includes trans people speaking for trans. I'm sorry, but there's too many, in my opinion, here's today's controversial comment, there is a cartel of so-called LGBTIQA plus organisations that are trying to take everything over and they are not looking after diversity well enough. I won't name names, um, you know, um, but it's time that trans people spoke for trans people organised for trans people and led trans-specific issues. And, for that matter, as a bi-pan person, bi leads bi. I'm sure many other people would feel the same way to um, borrow from the quote from disability communities, nothing about us without us. We are not going to be spoken for by careerists, by people who don't really have our interests at heart and people who, at the worst case, never really cared and don't give a damn. We have to speak for ourselves, And that to me, will bring more trans visibility in. That is what will do it. Um, when we energise ourselves, we can do it. Um, as I say, I've been through some hell in the last two years, but I'm now at that um, um, part where it says, you are now leaving hell, thank you for visiting. Yeah, well, no thanks really, but I'm on, I'm on the highway to the right road. And that's my sort of off the cuff, from the heart um, sort of comment for Trans Day of Visibility in 2022. And that was Sally Goldner, who is the host of 3CR's Out of the Pan, which airs on Sundays at 12. We've come to the end of the show. As always, a huge show today. We've heard from uh, call centre unionists, uh, lawyers, Hannah Dickinson, who's a principal solicitor at ASRC, about Migration Act. Um, and also Monique Hurley and Amala Mara Ratharan, who are lawyers and speaking about um, the bail laws, which disproportionately affect women. And that was Sally Goldner uh, on her um, show for Trans Day of Audibility here on 3CR. All right. Well, as always, keep it locked to 3CR. Up next, we've got Accent of Women coming up, uh, and we hope you enjoy your Tuesday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.